Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Sunday School Hour here at Faith Baptist Church. Let's uh, take our Bibles this morning. Go ahead and jump into it. Go ahead and turn uh, for me to see where I want to start at this morning. Uh, let's turn to... Yeah... Uh, Revelation 12. Let's start at this morning. We've been talking about... Last week was Satan, right? Yes. Okay. Now, we have been talking about angels. Right. And then after we got through basic angels, uh, archangels, the seraphims, the cherubims, which are different than cherubs, uh, we talked about uh, Satanology, which is a sort of sub category of angelology. Right. There's another subcategory of angelology we're going to be talking about today, which will wrap up angelology. Is this the fallen angels? This is demonology. Okay, yeah. We'll be talking about demons this morning. Yeah. We're in Revelation? Revelation chapter 12 this morning. So when we're talking about demons, there are a few different um, theories about what demons are. We know that demons exist. We know we see that all throughout Scripture. Thank you so much for, I assume, the like. Uh, we know that Jesus dealt with them. We know that demons existed in the Old Testament time. We know that they were given different names throughout Scripture. We're going to talk about a little bit of that later on. Um, <coughs> about uh, whether or not uh, in the book of Genesis early on when it refers to the sons of God and the daughters of men if that's referring to demons or if it's referring to uh, different genetics of the different uh, branches of people coming from the two sons of Cain and of Seth. Uh, but our first uh, sort of theory we're going to talk about is that demons are disembodied spirits of a pre-Adamic race. This is the first theory we're going to talk about this morning. And uh, basically the idea is, who's ever heard of the gap theory before? A handful of us, kind of. Well, let me, let me tell you what the gap theory is. The gap theory proposes a very long period of time between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2 during which time Satan fell from heaven and a third of the angels with him and in conjunction with this fall was a catastrophic judgment uh, of God on creation which is described by the phrase the earth was without form and void. Because of the rise of Darwinian evolutionary concepts in the later in the latter 1800s many theologians felt pressured to parallel evolution with the Genesis account of creation. Hence, the gap theory. Uh, as well as a few other, uh, such as theistic evolution, the day-age theory, etc., arose from Darwinian evolution when it became popular. The idea was that God may have used the, mecha uh, the mechanism of evolution and the seven days of Genesis 1. Uh, 
and the the the, day, the seven days of Genesis one not being in reference to twenty four hour solar days, but rather ages, long periods of time. You know, uh, these accommodation theories are increasingly being set aside as more biblical teaching and scientific evidence is objectively considered and more conservative theologians are holding to the young earth view that is in keeping with the seven days of Genesis being literal 24-hour days uh, like Exodus 20. So and what I want to talk about here is something very interesting when we talk about the young earth theory it is it, it kind of goes along with this question I'm about to ask you um, how old do you think Adam was in Genesis chapter 3, in the story of the fall of man. About how old do you think Adam was? Um, 34. 34. That's a good guess. Did time pass normally prior to the original sin? Yes. So he would have aged normally before original sin. Uh, well, well, before the flood, people lived to be hundreds of years old. Right, 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 right. I was just curious if like that applies to this. And I guess three hundred and thirty-four. I don't. I don't think they were that old. I think they were younger than that. Was, okay. Just because they weren't sure, they were still figuring stuff out. They were, you know. So how old do you think? Just a ballpark. Late late teens, early twenties. Early twenties. Yeah. Okay. I'm thinking thirties or forties. Okay. Uh, you're all wrong. Oh gosh. He was uh, maybe a week old. No way. That doesn't surprise me, though. How quick does it take you to get way too curious about something you're not supposed to do? Because he wasn't created as a baby. Oh. Okay, that's what I meant. But that is, that that confusion I did on purpose, okay? okay. It's a bit of a trick question because it applies to the unearth thing. Oh, okay. Right? The earth is actually probably only 10,000 years old in the same way that Adam was probably only about a week old. So the Earth is only ten thousand years old, but it's also kind of billions of years old because it wasn't created as a baby planet, right? It was created as a fully matured Earth. So it would appear, when you do the carbon dating, when you do those things, they would look like things have been absor absorbing carbon for billions of years, because it was created as a fully mature Earth. So if you found like Adam's remains. Like, like you would right. now, then, so many It would look oh, like he was from yeah. billions of years ago. Right. Because that's how the Earth was created. Or that he was in his 30s or Right. Whatever. That's how the carbon dating would work. It's because it's supposed to look like he's billions and billions of years old. Or the Earth is billions and billions of years old. When, in fact, it's actually only 10,000 years old. So that is the science behind the young Earth thing. It, it does, the science does hold true to the billions of years thing. Because it is, but it isn't. Right, in kind of the same way, and we wouldn't expect scientists to just accept by faith, right? They want facts, they want evidence, and that's what they're seeing when they're carbon dating things. Is billions and billions of years old. That's why what we believe comes off of faith, right? If we believe creation, that's a matter of faith. It's not a proven scientific fact that's out there, and that's the way God wants it. If He wanted for you to know as a solid, proved, solid, proven scientific fact, right? he could have written it out in the stars. He could have aligned the stars in such a way that they wrote out the gospel. You know, He could have done anything he wanted to. He wants us to accept it by faith. He wants to give us that choice. So that's the young earth thing. And that is kind of the gap theory 
is takes into account evolution of billions of years into sort of creation, which is entirely unnecessary. But the the first theory is that that pre-Adamic race of people uh, were completely killed off by God uh, in some sort of apocalyptic disaster, and those are the demons we have today. So that's one theory. That's not the, obviously not the theory I hold to because I don't believe in the gap theory. I don't think you find that in scripture. And I think if you're trying to put Darwinian evolution into the Bible, the two just don't mesh. It's either one or the other. They don't go together. Now there are aspects to that evolution have sort of absorbed into itself that are true. Uh, adaptation is, a, is an accurate part of what they teach about evolution. Um, metamorphosis, like the caterpillar turning into the butterfly, that's obviously true, we can see that. But the billions and billions of years uh, changes from one generation, the, the fingernail grows a little bit longer, but then you go a billion years later and that fingernail is now a claw. You know, that sort of a change, we can't prove. That sort of Darwinian evolution, we don't have any scientific evidence of. I mean, Darwin, I know, did some, um, some studies with, uh, was it Finches? Yes with finches on an island and watched how, like, over the generations, their beaks kind of changed. But there's no way to prove that that's because of evolution. That might just be adaptation to their surrounding environment. I mean, there's no way to know what that was. <clears throat> so uh, the two don't really mesh together, but it is interesting to me that they both require faith. It takes faith to believe in evolution because you don't have any scientific solid evidence of it. You've never seen a video of a creature evolving that was, you know, not sort of created on a computer. <clears throat> so they do both take a certain level of faith. But that is the first theory, is that pre-endemic race destroyed and those are the demons we have today. Uh, our second theory is uh, that their offspring, the demons are the offspring of angels and the pre-flood women. And uh, in Genesis 6, you might remember, there's uh, it's right after the story of Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel, and now you've got the line of Cain, which represents the, the, the bloodline of mankind that has fallen away. And you've got the bloodline of Seth, which represents the divine bloodline uh, for many reasons. One, because Seth was um, what God gave to Adam and Eve to replace Abel, who was taken from them. Uh, that he was the pure bloodline, whereas Cain polluted his bloodline with the first murder. And also, Seth was the one through whom Christ would come. All right, so for many reasons, uh, it is believed that the sons of God may be referring to uh, the bloodline of Seth. Right? But there are those that believe when it says the sons of God, it's referring to fallen angels. Right? And that these fallen angels, it says the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and took unto them wives. And then a little bit later you read that there were also giants in the land. So some people believe that when these angels and these people procreated, that they created these mixed breed angel people, which resulted in these sort of giants that roamed around in the land. Now why an angel and a human making a baby causes it to be a giant, I don't know where that comes in at. Also, angels can't make babies fallen or otherwise. Uh, Mark 12, Jesus is explaining. Somebody asked him a question. He says, I had a brother who had a wife, and that brother died. 
And the law dictates that his brother marry her and have children in honor of his brother. And then he died. And then I married her. And then when we die, when we reach heaven, whose wife is she? And Jesus' response was, you know not what you ask. Because in heaven, we, we are, uh, it is like the angels in heaven. We neither marry nor are given in marriage. And the concept of that being, there's no procreation in heaven. Right? You're not going to continue to have babies in heaven. And the, the concept there being that what we're going to draw from that this morning is that angels don't procreate. Right? There are no baby angels. Angels don't have babies. They don't have the equipment to procreate. Right? So it would have been impossible for these uh, offsprings, for angels to have offspring at all with these pre-flood women. So the sons of God and the daughters of men are referring to the bloodline of Cain and the bloodline of Seth. How they intermingled with each other and their moralities were corrupted so that the godly bloodline of Seth uh, had all but completely uh, been destroyed apart from Noah and his family. was all that was left of the godly bloodline of Seth. So the sons of God and... The sons of God refer to the bloodline of Seth. Okay. And the daughters of men represent the bloodline of Cain. Right, so the third and final uh, theory, and the one that we adhere to, is that uh, demons are fallen angels. That's what they are. They're just the fallen angels that fell with Satan uh, when he fell from heaven that we studied last week. Uh, this is the most accepted view, and it seems to be the most consistent with the scenario Scripture lays out for those who would help Satan in his efforts to hinder the work of God. Uh, this is where we're going to look at Revelation 12. Real quick. In Revelation 12, uh, we're going to read, starting in verse 1, it says, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. This is clearly not a literal vision, right? This is representing something. Nobody could be clothed with the literal sun, right? Nobody could be clothed with the literal sun while you've got the moon on your feet. Okay, so there is some allegory going on here. And she being with child cried, travailing in birth, and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, right? having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. Okay, so what we've read so far is another analogy, right? The great dragon. This great red dragon is Satan. Right? You'd say, well, Pastor, how do you know that? Well, verse 9 of the same chapter says, and the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent. Who's the old serpent? The devil. It said, well, it doesn't say that. Well, keep reading. Call the devil. <laughs> there you go. Right there in verse 9. This great dragon is the devil. Lays it out for us. So, when it says this great dragon and it says um, his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven. 
That is referring to, a lot of people believe, and I personally believe as well, that's referring to when he fell from heaven, he fell from grace, when he said, I will ascend to the throne of God, I will be like the Most High, that when God cast him out of heaven, that he had corrupted morally and took with him one-third of the population of angels that God had created. And that one-third of God's angels chose to follow Satan down to earth rather than stay in heaven with God. So he took a third of the angels with him when he fell. Um, that is what this is referring to, like I said, because this is an allegorical phrase. We know that. No woman actually clothes herself with the sun, right? The great red dragon is the devil, and casting down a third of the stars from heaven is referring to the angels, because many times throughout heaven, uh, or throughout heaven, throughout the Bible, uh, angels are referred to as the morning stars, right? Or the, the stars sang together uh, during creation and so forth. And uh, Job, I think it's Job chapter 40, where it talks about the morning stars sang together uh, as God was creating. So these are most likely talking about the angels that fell from heaven with the devil, who now serves Satan. Uh, so this is our theory. Uh, this is the theory that we adhere to. And it, it is the one that aligns with Scripture the best. Any other theory out there, uh, and, and not really based in what you find in Scripture, it's more like taking an idea that a guy had, a man had somewhere, and trying to superimpose it on the Bible. Right? We take Darwinian evolution and we're trying to make that fit in the Bible rather than just letting the Bible speak for itself. Right, this uh, idea of angels and pre-flood women, we see the Bible has a direct contrast to that theory because angels do not have babies. It's just not what happens. So this, uh, so the fact that fallen angels are demons, that is what the Bible teaches the best. Um, so this is this is what the Bible teaches. Now the characteristics about these fallen angels are that they are in fact spirit beings uh, and they are considered unclean before God uh, I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 17 real quick and look at a verse there uh, but the fact that these are spirit beings is something that some people have felt the need to sort of explain how they're spirit beings and they sort of said that it's possible since they fell to the earth that they might have been around during the flood and were killed during the flood. Um, I don't think that's any more true for them than it was Satan. Uh, I don't think you need to explain how they're spirit beings because they're angels. They're already spirit beings. Right? If they're fallen angels, they're still angels, they're still spirit beings. And uh, therefore, that's, that's just how you explain that. You say, well, how is it that we can interact with angels like throughout Scripture and you know, people have stories about meeting angels and so forth. How is that possible? Well, it's, it's possible because... God bridges the gap between our world and His. Right? That is what Jesus Christ represents. It's the great bridge between us and God, between the physical world and the spiritual world. Right? And so that is how that becomes possible, is that God just creates a bridge between us and that spirit being. Uh, but they are spirit beings. They are unclean before God. Matthew 17, 18 says, And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. So that not being the devil, but a devil, right? Which is a demon. And the fact that he was in the child and was cast out of the child indicates a purely spiritual being. There's no physical manifestation of a demon, right? They are spiritual beings. They possess different uh, 
people and sometimes even animals and so forth. Uh, but they are spirit beings. They have an intellect. They have a general idea, at least, of God's program through Christ. Uh, we're already here in Matthew. Let's go to chapter 8 real quick. Just sort of talk about the fact that they have a, a general idea of God's program, if not a full picture of Scripture like we have. Remember, Satan's not all-knowing. He's not omniscient. But uh, he is here on the earth, so it's possible that he has had access to Scripture like we have. Uh, so it's possible he knows that, though I don't know that for sure. Uh, scripture doesn't lay it out, but it does tell us they have part of the picture at least. In Matthew chapter 8, uh, in verse 29, it says, And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? So this is the story of uh, the maniac of Gadara, right? This is the story of uh, the, the lunatic that was there in the chains in the graveyard and uh, the story of Legion. We are uh, Legion for we are many, right? And so Jesus casts them into the herd of swine and uh, they go running off the cliff and so forth. We know the story goes, but as Jesus is communicating with this demon, these demons, uh, they cry here, Art thou come to torment us before the time? So these demons are at least aware that there is a time coming where Jesus will come to put an end to their work on the earth. They know that there is a time of torment coming for them uh, that comes from Christ. So they are on some level aware of some aspects of uh, end times prophecy. So they do have an intellect. They have a general idea of God's program. Uh, they propagate false doctrine. Uh, James 2.19 says, Thou doest well to believe, the devils also believe and tremble. <clears throat> right? So we know that they have an understanding of God's program, possibly even of salvation, and that they deter people from reaching Christ through salvation. Uh, they propagate false doctrine. Uh, we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. too fast for you guys? Okay. First Timothy chapter 4 uh, says in verse 1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies <coughs> in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Right, so some of this we're gonna we're gonna double back to, but that phrase up in the, the bottom of verse verse one, where it says, uh, seducing spirits and doctrine of devils. So that these demons and the devil, they have their own version of doctrine. Remember last week we talked about Satan, which is everything that God creates, the devil makes a copy of a false copy, and tries to get people to believe that. Right? The, uh, the doctrine of the Bible is no different. We have doctrine. We know why we believe what we believe. That's what this whole series is about. Uh, well, then the devil will come along and make his own version of doctrine. 
right? Things that seem universally true. You ever heard uh, that phrase? We, we had a class uh, in high school. It was actually, I think it was just US government. But the, the guy who was teaching our class, he uh, was a philosopher. He graduated with a degree in philosophy. So we talked a lot about, I forget, what was his name? Who? The, the government teacher who was a philosopher. Uh, Mr. Cooper? Yes, Mr. Cooper. Yes. And uh, we had a class one day where we sat in there, and he loved to challenge you. And I love a teacher that loves to challenge you, right? And uh, he's, he's, we sit in there one day, and he says, I, I challenge you all to find one truth that the entire classroom agrees with. Now, that sounds a lot easier than the challenge that a lot of people have set forth to find one truth that the entire world believes in, right? Because there isn't one. There's no truth that you believe in that there's not some weirdo out there who doesn't believe in, right? That, that's fair. Right. Like, I believe... I'm breathing oxygen right now, right? But there is some weirdo out there who well, believes no man. nitrogen, you know. Oxygen's just a lie from the government, man. They're trying to get you, man. You know, there's some weirdo out there like that who doesn't believe in oxygen. Uh, somebody out there who doesn't believe in gravity. Uh, like Phoebe from Friends. <laughs> who says, I, here lately I've been feeling less pushed and more pulled. Or less pulled and more pushed the way around. It's early. Leave me alone. Uh, you know, there's the, we don't. We're, nobody's going to agree on anything. But the classroom setting was a little bit smaller, right? So you think, oh, well, maybe I've got a chance here. We'll prove the teacher wrong. We didn't. Really? Yeah. Uh, we had one of the weirdos in that classroom. <laughs> he was. Uh, he actually played football with me, and I think he was just being contrary. I yeah, think he's just funny. trying to be difficult. Uh, but no, we we couldn't get it done. Really? Yeah. Well, that is what the world thinks truth is that unless it's universally accepted, it's not a universally true fact. That is actually what people believe. You go to colleges, that is what they'll teach you in philosophy, is it's not universally true unless it's universally accepted by everybody. It's not everybody's truth. Well, the fact of the matter remains is just because I don't believe in it doesn't make it wrong, doesn't make it untrue. Truth is not a matter of perspective. Right? Truth is only a matter of perspective if there's no God. Right? If there's no God, then truth is absolutely only my perspective or your perspective. Whatever I believe to be true, that's what true is. But if you believe differently, then that's also true because that's what you believe. There's no universal source of truth. <coughs> but if truth is something more than a concept in my brain, if it's, a, it's, if it's a substance on another plane of existence somewhere, where a, a master creator exists apart from his creation. If truth is something he uh, sources and he controls and he created, then it is not just a matter of what I believe versus what somebody else believes. It's not a matter of, of perspective. It's a matter of his perspective. It's a matter of source material. Universal truth comes from God. It doesn't come from us. But that's where doctrine gets mixed up. The world's doctrine, they think, Truth comes from us. And when we all adhere to something universally, then it becomes ultimately true. Right? But if you believe there is a God in heaven, you believe in the God of the Bible that we've been talking about for all these weeks, then you know the truth comes from him. And it doesn't matter if I believe it or not. So this is the, the false doctrine, the doctrine of devils that the devil is propagating out there in the world. And it contrasts that which God is giving us. So they propagate false doctrine. This is their characteristics. This is what they do. 
that this is what they do all day, every day. They go around good Christians. Hey, if you're not in church, you don't read your Bible, you don't participate in anything spiritual whatsoever, the devil's going to leave you alone. He doesn't care about you. I, I saw a TikTok uh, the other day, uh, Denzel Washington. I don't know who he was talking to. I don't know where he was, but he said this. He goes, you know, there's an old saying. Uh, he said, then there is, uh, that if uh, the devil's leaving you alone, you know you're doing something wrong. And people kind of start to clap, and he goes, well, I'm not finished now. He goes, consequently, if the devil's bothering you about something, making life difficult for you, then you know you're doing something right. right? That is the truth that we find here about their characteristics. They are actively involved in tearing down the godly Christian. If you wear the church t-shirt, you know, you're out there talking to people about the Lord, you're out there handing out tracts, you're waking up in the morning, you're reading your Bible, you're praying for people, especially if you're praying for people. If you're actively involved in the, the, the ministry of the Lord, the devil is going to be after you. His demons are coming for you, they're going to discourage you, they're going to make you uh, tired and weary and sad and upset and troubled. and he wants to have you so that he may sift you as wheat. Those demons, their job is to break you down and make you give up. That is their job. That is what they do. Now, we come to another aspect of demonology that a lot of people find interesting. And that is demon possession. Right? And this is the, uh, the aspect we come to. In time past, we know they could certainly possess men. Uh, we know Matthew 4.24 the Bible says that they brought uh, those possessed to the Lord so that he could cast out their demons. They brought all kinds of people in Matthew chapter 4 uh, verse 24 it says that he brought, they brought the sick they brought the lunatic, they brought all kinds of people but one of the kinds of people they brought were those possessed with those so that Jesus could cast them out. So we know at least in, during the ministry of Jesus, people were still being possessed by demons. Right, so, so follow me on this. <coughs> Whether or not demons still possess people today is a matter of some debate. That's because uh, there are those who believe because of the resurrection of Christ that demons can no longer possess people. That they've been weakened to the state where they don't know they no longer have the power to possess people. So that doesn't happen anymore in our day and age. That is not the case. People are still possessed to this day. Uh, there does appear to be demonic possession depicted in the book of Acts. Uh, and the events therein are post-resurrection. Right? The book of Acts takes place after the resurrection of Christ. He's ascended in Acts chapter 1. So anything that takes place after that uh, is post-resurrection, just like it is today. Right? Uh, let's take a look at Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. We're going to start in verse 13. 
And it says, Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. So the story goes that the apostles have been going around uh, casting out demons in the name of Jesus because they were apostles and they had that authority. We do not have that authority. Don't try this. For the same reason you're about to read about. Um, so they go in, they, they find these Jews that don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They grab their exorcists and they go out and they find somebody which had an evil spirit. And they say, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth because that's what worked for Paul. And then in verse 14 says, there were uh, seven sons of one, uh, Speca, a Jew, and chief of the priest, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit was, uh, the man in whom the evil spirit was, leapt on them, and overcame them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Yeah, that's intense. Read a little between the lines there. That's that's very, very intense. Uh, so, you do not have the authority to cast out demons. However, the truth that we're going to take from this and apply to our lesson this morning is that here in Acts chapter 19, a man is possessed by a demon. Right? It's still happening after the resurrection of Christ. Right, so the many instances in the four Gospels of demon possession show the powerlessness of mere religion. Right? And that is the point of the story in Acts 19. Religion alone is not enough to overpower a demon or even the devil. Uh, that kind of power comes from Christ alone. Right? Uh, the Catholic Church has exorcists like we read about here in Acts 19. They have no more power over a demon than uh, these did here in this chapter. The Jews only going through the form and not looking past them to perceive Christ was the problem. Right? They're going through these rituals, they're going through these motions, they're going through their traditions without looking for the meaning behind the tradition. Right? Have you ever heard of a custom that another country has and you thought to yourself, I wonder why they do that. I wonder where that came from. What's the origin of this custom? You know, you want to learn a little bit about it. Who, who first started doing this? How did it catch on and so forth? It's fascinating to you. Well, that's something that the Jews growing up never did. It was just part of their culture, part of their custom, and they just did it without thinking, why do we do it? And that came about and gave way to people giving other excuses for these rituals other than Genesis 3.15, the Proto-Evangelium. It shall bruise thy head, thou shalt bruise his heel. Right? Looking forward to the Christ that was promised all the way back then. Continuously promised. Promised again to Abraham. Uh, when he had Isaac and the promise of Isaac and the future promise of Christ. You look past Abraham. You can go to David and look at the Davidic covenant. He shall sit upon the throne of David. That was the promise David was given. Uh, David was given that promise directly by God, not through another prophet. That makes David a prophet. Right? The Davidic covenant. So we go all the way through all of these things 
We see Christ promised all throughout, but then you come toward the end of the Old Testament, you're beginning the New Testament, and all of a sudden these covenants and promises have sort of been forgotten, or they've been, they've been sort of changed to mean something different. We've lost Christ in the meaning of it. That's why they couldn't cast out the demon. That's the same reason that a Catholic exorcist can't cast out a demon, because their rituals and customs make it so religious that they have lost Christ in it all. Right? And so it's not about having the power to do these amazing things. It's not about the religious rites and exercises. In the same way that we do the Lord's Supper. Come Christmas time, we're going to do the Lord's Supper again. Right? When we have when somebody gets saved and we do a baptism. Right? These things, they're just pictures. Right? There's nothing supernatural, super spiritual happening to you while you're performing them except for the change that takes place in you that you choose to allow. Right? Other than, than the personal growth that happens when you see what is being pictured. Right? And that's the purpose of it. Think about a baptism. What happens in the baptism? Preacher talks for a little bit. You know, I've known little Johnny since he was eight years old. And the preacher goes on for a while, right? And you're like, all right, preacher, we got, you know, there's lunch to be had. We're still hungry. And uh, finally gets Johnny. Johnny, you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? And Johnny says, yes, I have, Pastor. And he says, I praise the Lord. And he says, uh, I now baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, what does he say next? He takes Johnny's nose, pinches it shut so as not to drown Johnny. He brings him down from standing, right? Down completely submerged in the water. He says, buried in the likeness of his death, right? Yes. He picks him back up, stands him back straight up again. He says, raised to walk in the likeness of his resurrection. Some people say, raised to walk in the newness of life. They're giving you the picture right there. And most people don't see it. It is, it is not saving you. It is a picture of Jesus there in the baptismal. Life. He's alive. He's ministering. He's dead. He's in the tomb for three days and three nights. We come back up because we're not going to leave you in the water for three days and three nights. You drink. <laughs> Raised to walk in the likeness of his resurrection. He's been resurrected from the dead, alive forevermore, gives us the opportunity to be resurrected spiritually as well, one day physically. But we'll get to that in another lesson. Right, so it's a matter of pictures. When we take the Lord's Supper, we take the grape juice, we take the unleavened bread. Right, we call it a cracker, but it's unleavened bread. Is what it is, it's just a little stale. Because we keep it in a little Ziploc baggie. Uh, but... That grape juice, that when we go to take it, before we take it, what did we say this past, uh, around Easter time? We said, this is my blood which was shed for you. We read that, right? He said, this do in remembrance of me. We take the, the bread, right? He said, this is my body which was broken for you. This do in remembrance of me, right? So there's the picture right there. The blood that was shed. The blood that was that fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. That's the, the grape juice. It's the blood of Christ that cleanses us. You're washed clean. The, the, the cracker represents the body which was broken, that was bruised, that was beaten as he was whipped and scourged and cut. Picture of Jesus. So it's important to remember the picture. 
Now there are six different times in the Gospels that cite Christ casting out devils. Uh, there is Jesus delivering a man in the synagogue from evil spirits. That's um, Luke 4. Uh, Luke 4 uh, starts in verse 31. Right, there's casting out a dumb and blind spirit. And if I'm going too fast for you, I've only got a few minutes left, so I'm going too fast for the references. Uh, you, you can this this live stream will be available later, and you can go back and pause me and do whatever you need to to get all these verses. But the second one is casting out a dumb and blind spirit, Luke chapter 11, verse 14. Uh, the third is healing a man possessed by the dev by devils at Gadara. That's the maniac of Gadara we talked about earlier. Right? Uh, I love that story. I love preaching that story because it's such a picture of salvation, how you go from a worldly-minded person to a child of, of God, and how the change that takes place in him so parallels the change that takes place when you allow Christ to change you uh, after salvation. Uh, so... The, the maniac of Gadara, that's Luke chapter 8. Uh, casting out uh, a spirit in Matthew chapter 9. There is uh, delivering the uh, Syrophoenician's uh, daughter in Matthew chapter 15. We good? Mm -hmm. Okay. And there is... Uh, casting devils out of a lunatic boy in Luke chapter 9. So these are six different times in the gospel we can cite Christ casting out devils. That teaches us so much about what we want to know about devils. But know also before we wrap up today that the Christian being saved cannot be possessed. Right, First uh, Corinthians chapter six tells us that uh, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. Right, that when we were saved, God filled us up spiritually. There's no place for the devil to possess us. That does not mean that the devils cannot do other things to you. Uh, devils can uh, attack and oppress, and they do. They can attack you mentally. They're going to attack you mentally. Do not think mental health is something that the world deals with and it's not something that you deal with. Everybody deals with mental health. Take care of yourself mentally. Especially nowadays. There is more worry and more fear and more anxiety going around than ever before. The devil always finds new avenues to attack humanity. Yeah. And just because it's new doesn't mean you need to ignore it, right? Mental health is worse than it's ever been before. That's an attack from the devil. Take care of yourself mentally. Mm -hmm. uh, he'll attack you emotionally, right? He's going to make it hurt. He's going to make it burn. He's going to make it sting. It's not going to feel good. It's going to be ugly. But you hang in there, all right? He's going to attack you emotionally. He's going to use people he shouldn't be able to use. But the devil's a master manipulator. He's very good at manipulating people into attacking you, right? So he's going to attack you emotionally. He's going to attack you spiritually. And that's why it's important to be grounded spiritually. Right? There is a spiritual battle going out there. And when your spirit is weakened, it will affect your mental health, it will affect your emotional state, and it will affect your physical state. Have you ever felt like you were just very lethargic one day 
and you didn't really know why. You didn't have a good reason. You didn't have been out working or anything. You just felt sort of exhausted, not really mentally or even physically, just somewhere inside you, you just felt worn out. Right? And then maybe later that day, you were drained emotionally. You know, you just felt very upset, very sad, something. You couldn't figure out why. It felt like almost like a mood swing. You know? Uh, it, these things are the result of a weakened spiritual state. It does affect you on many different levels. You have to be well prayed. Pray up. We are losing more strong prayer warriors than we are gaining. And we cannot afford to lose that battle. Pray and pray often. Right? We need to have some sort of spiritual substance every day. I listen to when I don't do anything else. Because let's be honest, there are days we should read our Bible and we let the day fill it up. And we, we fail on that when we shouldn't. But if nothing else, I every morning will listen to a psalm. I just turn a psalm on and I listen to that. And it, it just fills your soul. It like feeds you spiritually. And if that's all I get, I get at least that. I try to get more, but I get at least that. It's important to prepare yourself. Because guys, the devil is going to come at you. He's not going to play fair. He's not going to wait for you to be well rested. He's not going to wait for you to have a good day. He's not going to wait for everything to be going your way and attack you at your best. He's going to hit you at your worst. He's going to hit you at your weakest. He's going to hit you hard. And you've got to be ready to take the bull by the horns. This is how we do it. But that is our lesson on angels. Uh, thank you guys so much for being here. And thank you guys so much for watching on Facebook. I think next week we're going to be starting Church Doctor. And I'm very excited about that. We have, as an independent fundamental Baptist church, we have a very specific meeting for church doctrine. And I'm excited to share with you why exactly that is. So we'll be back at, see how late am I? You're on time. I'm, I'm pretty well on time. We'll be back at 11 for the point service. <laughs>